comments, ideas, and opinions of the ESP podcast and ESP Tipcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the show's sponsors. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support us, please write a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your portal of choice. And please consider making a donation at www.espanswers.com. Just click on the donate button. Production of the podcast is not cheap nor easy, and we really appreciate any support that you can provide. Thanks. Podcast, episode 46, Making Sense of the Latest Science on Nutrition with Jeff Rothschild. Hey, hey, it's 2017, and with the new year, I have been hard at work bringing back full-length shows. And there's no better topic to kick off the new year than nutrition, largely because no other area seems to change so much every year. So joining me today on the show is Jeff Rothschild. Jeff is a registered dietitian with a master's degree in nutritional science. He works with a variety of people, including professional tennis players, triathletes, cyclists, boxers, and a number of touring musicians at TriFit in Santa Monica, California. He is also an NSCA certified strength and conditioning specialist and has spent five years as the assistant tennis coach at CSU Los Angeles. Jeff helped... The Golden Eagles earned national top 25 rankings each of those years and was a two-time winner of the Assistant Coach of the Year for the West Region by the Intercollegiate Tennis Association. And with that, I want to welcome Jeff Rochelle to the podcast. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, I was just commenting uh, uh, to a friend of mine today that this is actually going to be the the first interview that I've done probably in uh, I think about a year and a half. Um, so it's it's definitely been a long time since I've been able to do a, a you know full length podcast. So I'm I'm really excited about being able to talk about some of these uh, these topics. Um, so before we get started, can can you give me a little bit of uh, your background? Maybe tell people kind of like what what you do and and kind of your 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 philosophy of training. Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm a registered dietitian. I have done my master's degree in nutritional science, and I work in a private practice setting in Santa Monica, California. I work with a lot of endurance athletes. Um, as well as some professional tennis players and some fighters. But uh, as my, myself, I, I'm an endurance athlete. I've ridden a bike for a long time, and I've been more recently getting into more triathlons. Uh, I've worked with triathletes for a while, and so I've actually finally taken the Ironman plunge this year. So we'll see how that goes. But um, anyway, with that, that kind of informs you know, where I come from as, as, as far as the research I've, I've followed and, and the uh, type of people that I work with. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's, that, that's the short version. Yeah. And for, for, you know, for people that are familiar with, with my podcast and particularly my blog, I've actually featured some of, um, the, the writing that you put up in the last couple months, uh, you know, because I've been kind of in a back and forth, particularly in the forums and, and whatnot with a, a lot of stuff with the, the, uh, uh, uh low carb, high fat diets and, and, um, 
and and there's a lot of that stuff out there. Uh, you, you, you know, can you tell us a little bit about kind of your, you know, your take on all that and, yeah. and really, uh, you know, you know how that relates to endurance training and, and, and what you do? Yeah, that's a good question. And thank you for sharing that stuff. Um, that, that's a, that whole area I find so fascinating and, and how I got into this as a profession. Um, originally I was, I had a different career and I was just riding bikes and, and really into cycling and, and racing a little bit and, and kind of learning more about diet and nutrition and it, what was a hobby that I wanted to pursue and get a, a degree and, and, you know, turn it into a career. My take on it, let's say 10 years ago was I thought, gosh, you know, and I, I, I guess I was swept up in this low carb excitement and I wasn't super low carb zealot, but at the same time I was thinking, God, you know, we, you could burn fat and, and all these things about that, about burning fat more efficiently and, you know, and so on that, that you've covered on the show, I know. And, um, and it, it's at first, it's a very appealing argument to say we have a limited gas tank of carbohydrate and we have a more or less unlimited gas tank of fat. So it would seem, you know, pretty sensible to say, oh, well, let's, train our bodies to burn fat better. And certainly many people are, are advocating that and, and trying that and so on. And the thing is, once you actually look a little deeper and understand things like oxygen cost and, and, uh, and, you know, the factors that impact performance, it doesn't really, you know, it turns out it's, it's not really the best idea. And in fact, um, oftentimes when I'm, doing metabolic testing on people and seeing what they're burning more often than not, it's, it's, it's trying to get them to burn more carbs in certain zones. And then, yeah, at, at a low intensity, I'll, I think there is a good place for fat burning. And so if you're out on an easy cruise or zone two ride or something, you know, there, there's definitely a place for fat burning and carbohydrate burning, but understanding where they both shine. Um, and so instead of trying to have this kind of, uh, smooth transition from fat burning to carbohydrate burning, I actually like to, to bias the lo uh, uh, low intensity activity towards fat burning and, and high intensity uh, activity towards carb burning. And I, I realize as I'm saying this, we're, we're, I'm jumping all around and covering a whole bunch of topics that we can get into more specifically, but to kind of catch people up, there's this uh, generally low intensity exercise is, is fueled by predominantly or more so by fat and high intensity by carbohydrate. And as the intensity picks up, you know, it, it leans from, from fat-based to carbohydrate-based. Um, many people, again, try to raise this threshold at which you can burn fat for a number of reasons, which maybe we, should get, we could get into more specifically and why those are not great arguments. Um, but um, that's so, – so as an endurance athlete, I'm, I'm, I, was, I spent some time trying to focus on this fat burning and then as I – both through experience, through uh, reading, reading research, through working with people, I've kind of, you know, I guess turned into the establishment that that many of these low carb people tend to to uh, rebel against. I think, um, and and it's it's uh, because it's actually, as you know, there's uh, a big difference in performance when based on what you're burning. So was I? I, I guess I jumped around a lot there. No, there, no, should no. We, should I, we dive in anywhere? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, uh, here's the thing: is that is that, that like this? Just this one tiny part of the topic. I mean, you could spend <laughs> hours you know, on, and it's it's um, it's very frustrating because, uh, you know, from my, uh, you know, from my viewpoint, uh, it, it, 
I I read a lot of the research, and and again, I'm not like an expert in this area, but um, you know, being out of college and and having to teach a variety of courses, uh, including sports nutrition, um, a lot of this comes up, and and it it it, it frustrates me because there 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 seems to be a complete uh, I, I, I either disconnect or or ignorance or or purposeful ignoring of bioenergetic understanding <laughs> um and and i i mean a lot of times i will always go back to george brooks and citing george brooks because this is the guy that that has done so much of this work um and he's the guy that kind of coined the, the 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 crossover concept um and the fact is, is that, yeah, you are going to, uh, you know, burn more fat at lower intensities. And certainly the more fat you can burn, the better, because that's, that, that's going to, uh, 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 spare carbohydrate and, and, and really kind of keep you from, from having to tap into that. But endurance training in and of itself does a really good job at maximizing that. Now we can yeah. definitely tweak the performance there. Um, but one of the things that, that always comes up again and again is like, well, you know, uh, you, you get more calories from fat and, and mm. you know, this whole efficiency thing comes up and, yep. and the fact is, is that carbohydrates are more efficient. I mean, if you look at yeah. a per liter of oxygen, um, standpoint, you, you use less oxygen to burn carbohydrate than fat. And so it, it in, in in order to go a certain speed, you have to, you know, increase your oxygen cost or your VO2, and it, it, it doesn't work out. You know, I mean, it just doesn't <laughs> – <Yeah. laughs> the math, the math literally doesn't work out. I, I detect a subtext of, like, bewilderment that you have to explain it that way, over, you know, over and over because it does seem so obvious. And, and maybe um, I think a good – maybe a direction to go with this part of the conversation is to just – Maybe yeah, we'll go back. You you started explaining the difference in in the oxygen cost. Um, uh, one of the things I do, and and what you do in your lab is we measure these. Some we do a graded exercise tests, so it could be on a bike or a run, or um, or even a rower. But the person is going basically from an easy intensity, and then every three minutes or every four minutes or whatever the test protocol is, uh, the intensity increases, maybe by twenty five watts on the bike. So we can measure someone's we see someone's heart rate, and we see when when they're uh, breathing into when we're catching their expired uh, breath, we know how many calories they're burning. Some insight into what's going on underneath the hood. Now, again, most people uh, to just take the the most textbook example at the at a very low intensity, the ratio is generally uh, more than half fat. So maybe let's say someone's burning 70% fat and 30% carbohydrate. And then again, as the intensity goes up, that would be expected to, to decrease in favor of carbohydrate. At, when someone is going at a very low intensity, it's okay to, to spend a little bit of extra oxygen and, and to burn the fat and you're saving carbohydrate. And there is some real utility there. But what I see often from people that only do fasted training is that their top end, they might only be burning 70, 80, maybe 90% carbohydrate to 30, 10, you know, 20, 10% fat. And that's not as efficient at their top end um, as you're just saying. And, and so most people, again, would, would look at where they're, wherever they're currently at and say, oh, okay, let's try to be better fat burners, you know, in a, in a you know, a, a 
genuinely good intentioned effort to lose body fat and to, to be more, to be better on the bike or the run. But again, what they're missing is what you just mentioned is that it costs more oxygen to, to spend fat than it does to spend carbs. And that oxygen is very valuable when you're up near your peak intensity during uh, a mountain bike race or, uh, or, you know, a 10 K or, or even a longer triathlon. Right. Right. And, and, and so you, you do run into a bit of a paradox at, at the low end, but you also run into, uh, a figurative brick wall at the high end, because when you really need to produce ATP, when you really have to throw down, okay, you've got to have that late race kick. You've got to, uh, you know, whatever, put in the attack on the, on the last climb, whatever it is, when you need that, that last push, the only way you're going to get it is with carbohydrates. Because again, fat is so, it's so slow, um, that, you know, you know, again, you could say, well, you know, I, I could just, you know, take in more O2 and, and, and do that. And it's like, no, 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 it doesn't work. And I, 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 I don't know if I, I, I told you, but I had posted up some numbers and I did some basic math and, and, and for the numbers to work out that way, uh, you've got to increase your VO2 max substantially. I mean, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's like a 20 or 25% increase in VO2 max, um, which would be great. I mean, if I could have, back in my racing days increase my vo2 max to about 90 uh that 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 would have been great for me in my career um, yeah <laughs> but, but it wasn't gonna work that way so um yeah. so 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 you do run into this problem so uh you, you know and it is problematic because you do get the 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 dogma um that really i think hampers us when we're trying to to get people to their best performance uh so so what uh, I, I guess what is your tactic there? What what are you doing yeah. with the people that you work with to say, hey, let's take a step back and let's let's really look at your performance because that's what matters. Yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of just think of a, a typical cyclist or triathlete that I work with, and and if we see from this test that often we see in the test is that the the low end would be maybe reliant a little bit too much on carbohydrate. Uh, or you know, perhaps somewhat some burning some fat, but also maybe a bit more carbohydrate than we want to see in the low end, and then a nicely developed middle range where they're probably doing most of their riding. Like most people spend most of the time in the middle, in the middle zones, whether they're doing group rides or you know whatever it is. Then the top end that might not be maxed out at the carb burning. So so what I see that again, that's kind of the most typical profile of both recreational athletes as well as very elite level to a to a lesser degree in, in the top level but basically we we want to focus then the bottom end and the very top end for 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 substrate efficiency so then usually my approach is to it kind of dovetails into to the other article of, of mine that you posted is that when do we use the carb so when you're doing a zone two two three four hour endurance ride you don't need to be very carbed up right and going on a low gas tank uh, is going to give you better adaptation than if you go out on a full gas tank. I, I, I like the analogy, and I usually hold up a water bottle, and, and you know we have these carb stores in our muscles, uh, which is our gas tank. And if you've started the ride, let's say you go out for a three-hour endurance ride, and if you've started that with a full gas tank, meaning you've had the pasta dinner the night before, or giant like waffles for breakfast, 
and then you keep doing gels and, and sports drink along the way, that gas tank is never really getting depleted throughout that three-hour ride. You might get some adaptation from that, but if on the next day you started with a very depleted gas tank and because you hadn't had carbs after the last workout, and then you go out with just water, maybe some electrolytes, uh, maybe a very small amount of carbs or none at all, and power, and get through that same three-hour endurance ride, it'll probably feel a whole lot harder for you, but you're going to get a whole lot more out of it. So what I do is then look at someone's, you know, on a weekly basis, kind of figure out, okay, where's your endurance ride, where's your recovery rides, where are your hard group rides or races and these kind of things. And, and when we see those zone two or recovery rides or, or endurance rides, we can fuel those with very low carbohydrates. And not just, that doesn't mean just go out fasted because the muscle glycogen, your gas tank, uh, only gets used from exercise. So that means if I eat a giant pasta dinner and then go out fasted on the bike or a run, you're actually, you're, it, your muscles still have plenty of gas in them. So we want to manipulate the gas tank going before and after each ride, depending on what, or each, each workout, depending on what the goal is. So those, the, the purpose of those long endurance miles is to get mitochondrial adaptation. So then, and, and when people start to understand this, actually often I love asking, uh, the, the person I'm working with, like, you know, you go out for this two or three or four hour ride, what happens? Like everyone knows you get faster or you get better from a, from a workout, but no one really stops to think how much, like what's happening that gets me to be a better cyclist or triathlete after this three hour endurance ride. Right. And I wouldn't expect anyone to know the answer to this. That's not, that doesn't study this, but what you're doing is you're driving these mitochondrial adaptations. And once people kind of understand that they're going to get more adaptations out of, you know, going on with a low gas tank, and we should acknowledge, you know, the work that these guys, so many, you know, uh, Dr. Morton is doing in, in England and, and Dr. Graham Close. And there's a, there's a, a great group of researchers that are, that are really um, looking into this. Um, so we want to manipulate the gas tank prior to and after workouts so that if we're looking at endurance uh, adaptations or if we're looking for those adaptations, then we keep a low gas tank. Now, conversely, if you have an, a two-hour interval workout or you know some, some, something really gnarly where you have to really, really put out the wattage or it's a hard group ride or whatever, then we want you filled up so you can burn carbs efficiently, hit your top end, hit the, the, the top end power. So that's going to allow you to get the best high-end workout. So I kind of like often, not always, but often wind up fun, uh, really emphasize, uh, focusing on the top end workouts and the real bottom end workouts. And then the ones in the middle, you know, maybe a, they're going to be a mix of, of different zones and intensities. So kind of would depend. But I really, to, to take that person who's kind of got a, a mediocre substrate usage profile and really accentuate the bottom end and, and accentuate the top end, I think it, it really is through matching the diet with the training session. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Um, and that really gets to the, the this whole idea of periodizing your nutrition and trying to plan out so that your nutrition matches your training needs. And, and really, that's, that, that's what we want because that's really, uh, at least from an evidence-based approach, is what we see is, is not only going to work, but I, I think it's going to be the most practical. And... Oftentimes, that's the part that a lot of people forget because, again, we can see things 
in the lab or I can I, I can do a study and, and I can say if you do X, Y, Z for 14 weeks, uh, you will see on average this. Okay, well, that's great, um, but not everybody lives inside that kind of lab bubble, and, and those studies are a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. um, it is very difficult to get people to follow that. So uh, we, we need to come up with practical approaches, and, and, and certainly uh, that day-to-day that, that -day or session-by-session -session manipulation of diet is is really really important and and I, I would actually go a step for uh, a step further and because you you you'd mentioned kind of that really hard interval session in wanting to fuel up uh, there there are people that maybe have a short interval session where they they could easily come in low fueled um, and still see some benefits there as well. And I, I've done plenty of morning sessions where I've got, you know, maybe an hour total. I'm going to warm up. I'm going to do my intervals and then I'm going to cool down and let's face it. I can be fasted overnight and I can get through that workout. Maybe the first time I do it, it's not going to feel so good, but I've done plenty of those workouts and we've, we've done plenty of swim workouts. I'm sure a lot, a lot of people out there have done swim workouts fasted. Um, and I've had some of my best swim sessions in the morning fasted, but my swim sessions are an hour or less. Um, so I, I mean, it's really thinking about how you can, uh, you know, match that nutrition. And I, I think that that's where kind of the low carb, high fat people have re really gone astray is just because it's, it's like a lifestyle now yeah. and a lifestyle is not only hard to maintain, but in general, I I generally don't find that the best nutrition programs, especially where, for elite athletes, are lifestyle programs, um, where that's all they do. And I, yeah, I think yeah. that's the misconception out there. Yeah, and you mentioned a couple things I think are worth worth kind of just highlighting. Um, the periodized nutrition that's that's definitely become, you know, that that's I think people have become a, a more aware of that top, uh, concept over the past five ten years. But most people think of it in terms of seasonally, the way you would periodize your base training and then you know your preseason or, or, or depending on your sport. We're talking meal by meal or day you know day by day and even meal by or I, when I work with people, I go meal by meal to facilitate those best adaptations for each session. You know, so periodized like on a day to day basis or like yeah you know that that can that shouldn't be um, overlooked. Also, I think it's worth mentioning people think people have, we should probably address this, uh, train low race high concept of carbohydrate usage. Um, have you, have you I, I don't know, have you talked about it much on the show or basically to, to catch for people that aren't aware, there's an idea that if you train with all low carbohydrate, and then if you race with a high carb, high carb intake, so gels and sports drinks, et cetera, that is a good way to get the benefits of both improved fat burning and improved, you know, carb burning. But doesn't really work out in practice the way it does in some of these research studies or or in the non-performance based research studies. Do you want to? I, I, yeah. I have a few thoughts on that, but go ahead and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, in fact, that's um, I, yeah, I've covered, uh, you know, you know, a little bit of that, but I've never delved specifically into into that area because, again, um, and this gets into a lot of the you know the really nice research that's been done. Uh, with, with with high carb diets, uh, and showing that 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 there is an adaptation there as well, and so that that it, it's very 
well, it's very particular. So, so you know what? I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna hold off because I really want to hear your thoughts um, okay. on that, and then I can I can kind of jump in there. But 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 yeah, why don't you uh, go into a little bit of that? Sure. Yeah. So just just for people that have probably heard about this or tried this or thought about this, what happens if if you follow a low carb, high fat diet while training? You will absolutely increase your ability to burn fat. So the fat burning enzymes will increase, but and, and, and so studies that look at this, we see, you know, improved fat burning in, indicators, all, all this. There's no, there's no real question about that. But the problem is if that is all you're looking at, you're only missing, you're missing a lot of the story. So when, then you, when you look at performance times, performance times often won't, won't get better in these cases. So even though you've improved fat burning, in theory, we should be sparing glycogen. Then, you know, one would think, oh, I've spared glycogen and now I'm going to be a better fat burner. I'm going to take a bunch of gels during my race. Not only have I spared glycogen, but I'm taking extra uh, carbohydrate in. So this is going to be fantastic. But the problem is what, what happens when you've followed this low-carb, high-fat diet for too long. You down-regulate the enzymes that can effectively churn carbs over. Exactly. And this is so key. And this is why, again, it comes back to this day-to-day -day and even meal by meal periodization. So you're going to get the best of this low carb availability for, to improve your fat burning, uh, in, in, improve your mitochondrial adaptations during these endurance sessions while still retaining the ability to, to turn over carbs. It's, it's relates to the PDH complex, uh, for those that are keeping score. Um, uh, and, and this is what's, you know, you downregulate fairly quickly and doesn't get, so I, I think there's one paper, uh, four or five days, of a low carb, high fat diet down regulates this, and then if you have, you know, a day of the high carb feeding, it doesn't it doesn't bring this back up to speed in time. So you know this this has to go into the race plan uh, as far or as far as your preparation uh, of your season and your week goes. Yeah, and there's uh, uh, there's been some 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 work done with that, and and really the strategy that I've seen put forth is is really about again that periodizing the nutrition. Um, you might have some of the the uh, the train low strategies. There's the sleep low strategy that that I've I've talked about um, both on my blog and in some podcasts. There there are a lot of things in there, but as you approach your competition, you've got to add in the high carb fueling. Um, and this kind of goes to uh, I actually your most recent article um, is developing a nutrition plan, but but. I've often counseled athletes to say, like, look at, you know, if you are having nutritional issues in the race, it could be GI distress, it could be, um, you, you know, you're, you're running out of fuel, whatever it is, you need to sort that out in the off season. And then you need to figure out the plan that you're going to use. And then you actually have to to, to start to implement that plan before the race. Yeah. So if, if, if you are on this, on this low carb, high fat diet, uh, it's not a matter of just showing up and, and all the magic happens with the carbohydrates. <laughs> right. It's, you've got to train, train your gut. And, and this goes back to a lot of the research I, out there that, that has really come out in, 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 in probably less than the last decade that shows that the gut is trainable. Um, and, and, and so you've got to get it trained and ready because otherwise you run a huge risk of GI distress. Um, yep. and, and people are already susceptible to that with, with very high carb intakes. If you haven't trained for it, you can burn all the fat you want. 
Mm-hmm. You'll you'll be sitting on the side of the road or the trail or whatever, uh, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> with the runs or or <laughs> with cramps or something else. Yeah, so, absolutely. Super, yeah. super. Yeah, good point. So, so um, you you know, from your uh, uh, from your practice though, um, what are some of the specific strategies? Uh, do you lean more towards the the you know the low fueling or um, the low training, or have you started doing more with the sleep low? Or yeah, so that's a good question. I I I, I see that the sleep low strategy as a real tool. Uh, that's kind of like a second level. So when we, well, let's say I'm working with someone and the first, of course, getting their, their regular diet kind of day to day, oftentimes actually in the past week, I've had a couple of really good cyclists that eat about half as much protein as they should, even just to be in a normal protein intake. So, you know, things like that would be a first tier of things. Then, then the next step would be this kind of just kind of the straightforward fueling for, for these rides, meaning like a zone two ride, you don't have to fuel a lot for, uh, a high intensity ride will fuel a little bit more, more for. So based on just fueling what, what those needs are. And then the next tier would then be once all that is kind of understood and, and, and implemented properly would be, okay, then thinking ahead, like, so a couple meals before your zone two ride or, 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 you know, not getting a full recovery. I'll give you an example. Let's say Tuesday is a, uh, a long, long duration endurance ride. And Monday was a high intensity interval day. Well, you don't have to fully recover. So similar to the sleep low, but maybe we give a little bit of recovery and then, you know, kind of keep a half, half gas tank, let them go into that endurance ride and then, you know, refill, refuel after that, uh, looking ahead again to the next workout. So that's kind of this manipulation. And then that I see that the next step even from that, as far as the sleeping low. So really, um, you know, for myself, I do it kind of, I've been doing it one playing with one day a week. So Monday night I'll do like a spin class and then not, not, you know, protein only afterwards sleep low, do a fasted run in the morning. So that, you know, requires, you want to, you don't want to burn someone out too much. I think there can be a big stress as I, I believe you've talked about, um, on someone. So when I'm working, when I'm suggesting that with other people, I'm very kind of cautious because I, I, w- I want to make sure they're not overstressing their body, overtraining these kind of things when, when, and not, and, and, and they're under fueling inadvertently by trying to do some kind of, you know, it's going to be, it's a tool. It's not, it's not like a, a, a must have in my, in my opinion. So I like it. I just, I'm kind of cautious with using that. I, I just see that as an, another tier of, of technicality, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I, I experimented, uh, quite, quite a bit with the sleep low. Um, I mean, I've done, uh, low fueling and I've like, like I said, I've done interval sessions that are, are fasted. Um, and that's not a problem. The sleep low, I agree. You've got to be very careful. Again, the research, especially the the first study that really came out on it, that was the one I I, I tried to yeah. mimic. Um, it, it's really hard. In fact, what I found is that on my my bike sessions, because I typically did a bike session, because uh, that's e- easier for me to really control the workload um, and get in, uh, you know, the caloric expenditure, all that stuff that goes along with it. Uh, and then I would get done and I would eat at night and it would be, you know, like basically a huge salad, a lot of protein. You've got to do the protein supplement at night, um, you, you know, to try to get at least close to what, yeah. uh, you know, the research shows. 
But the fact is, is I felt awful in the morning. Yeah, and you probably slept terribly too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I just felt awful. Now, um, what they did is they typically, I it was a cycling study, so you know the riders, um, you know, went out and they did an easy ride. Yeah, you know, back in my racing days, if I was training twenty hours a week or, or even just riding, um, just just as a single sport, that wouldn't be a problem. But I found that trying to do a run the next day was, was just, it, it was just a dreadful experience. Yeah, it it yeah, really, yeah. it <laughs> really, really was difficult. Um, I like sleep low and I think the newer, the newer papers that, that have just come out. And I, 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 I think I had talked about one maybe about a month ago. Um, that's showing, you know, again, that very short term effect, you know, three weeks of training, yeah. sleep low, uh, you, you ramp up your fat burning. You also improve your performance though. And, and again, that yeah. gets back to your other point is that we're seeing a lot of these studies show massive increases in fat burning with low carb diets, but it's not getting people faster. And at the end of the day, performance is the name of the game. And I don't care how many studies you show me on fat burning. Yeah. If you're not running any faster, it's, it's just not, it's not it's not worth it, um, especially the yeah. stress it puts on you, uh, either mental or physiological. Yeah, and just a couple more to things to chime in. I, I think I, I've been personally experimenting with it just once a week, so that's not you know in those studies. I think there were three times a week. Um, also, yeah, yeah know, to exactly. your point about the the difficulty of the workout, so that you're sleeping really depleted, and I know my sleep is just fragmented. It's not good on that night, and the run in the morning is, has not been good. Um, when you when you do fasted workouts, as I mentioned. Mo um, your, your gas tank might still be full or at least fairly full. So, so, um, you know, people oftentimes I think just think of fast, all fasted training as it's, it's like a low gas tank, but that's, that's not necessarily the case without exercise. I mean, people, uh, there's a, a study I love. It's from like the earlier mid eighties and it showed that muscle glycogen levels were the same after an overnight or after an 84 hour fast, you know, which is pretty, uh, shocking at least well until you think about that they only it only gets used when you when you actually use it um so that the point being that fast it does not mean low gas tank so uh that you know um it's, it's a distinction that people need to make now when you sleep low also why that study worked so well and why you just acknowledge there's there, there was um not a there was a performance improvement. Those high intensity trainings were totally fed, so they're taking the same amount of carbohydrates and just squashing it into a different timing of the day. So the the group that was sleeping low was also doing their intervals on very high carb intakes or yeah. relatively high carb intakes. So those hard workouts were fully fueled, and then they just had to suffer through the night basically and 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 hobble through a morning fasted workout, uh, and then it's full on high carb feeding. So that that drastic kind of high and low. I think that's. I think that's, you know, that really fascinates me both in, in terms of this kind of carbohydrate feeding similar to what I, I see in the exercise tests and, and how I approach uh, improving that is, again, working on the top end and the, and the very bottom end and, and actually getting off topic a little bit with just fasting as far as like general health and how I counsel people with for weight loss. It's kind of this all or nothing, I think, is actually a good thing from our body's perspective as opposed to just like a casual 20% deficit diet that, you know, a traditional diet as opposed to a intermittent fasting-based diet. I would tend to agree, and I think I think the research uh, is is good enough there. Um, again, the the intermittent fasting, I, I've I I think it looked really promising a few years ago, and it's not it's it's not quite 
it, it hasn't quite panned out the way that, that we had hoped, but I definitely think it's, um, it's certainly useful. And I think also it's more reflective of how we evolved. Yeah. Uh, you know, because a lot of times, you, you, well, I, I don't want to say a lot of times. I, I mean, I mean, for the most part, we it was kind of feast or famine, you know. And and if you look at just just nowadays with a primitive tribe, they'll 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 have large meals and then they'll have large periods of time where they haven't eaten. Um, and I think that's more common than you, you know, kind of the the low calorie deficit. You know, you you, yep. you could have periods of time where where there was starvation, but but again, that's totally different. Um, so so I think that that it, that it always gets tricky in there. Um, but certainly, I would agree. Um, and and going back to your point that 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 you usually do about one day a week, and and that's what I was doing. Um, and 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 going back to my own personal experience. Uh, more than one day a week was extremely, extremely daunting for me. Yeah. Um, I tried it a few times and I just, I mean, that whole, the rest of the training week was just total garbage. <laughs> um, and, and one time I got really sick. I mean, I got, you know, I got a really, really bad cold. And, uh, and, and again, that's the other thing with carbohydrates. It's, it's, uh, it, it it gets into the whole immune function thing, and 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 people have a I I think a misconception of how the immune system works, but certainly if you're depleted in carbohydrates, not a good thing for the immune system. No. Um, but at the same time, it's not to say like, hey, let's uh, you, you know, let's just increase our carb intake because that's not going to make your immune system any better. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the fueling thing is great, and I I I'd be really curious to look at that paper that you were talking about because, um, I do think there's a lot of merit there because as as uh, you know, as we always tell our students, um, in college, it, it, it's like, well, you know, if you fast overnight, your glycogen stores are depleted, but really, we're talking about liver glycogen. Yep. And we're not tapping into muscle glycogen until we really really need it. And if, if, if you're seeing, you know, 84 hours out and these people are not exercising, then, then that would make sense for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge, I think it's a super important distinction that gets you know, way, way too often overlooked. Yeah. So, uh, you know, going back to kind of the, the bigger picture now. Okay. So when you're talking with athletes, uh, how do you, I guess, how do you determine um, you know, which approach to take or what they might want to try or, or, or what is, you know, kind of your thought process on, on how to, uh, you know, find them the right program. Yeah, that's a good question. And, and I think, I think of all this stuff as tools and, and while I really, I, th I think this is the most fascinating new area of sports nutrition, you know, that that's emerging and just so interesting. And, and, and um, we definitely want to see what's appropriate for the right athlete. So just to, you know, I'll give it off the top of my head. I can think of, I'll give you a few different examples. So one, I worked with a, a cyclist who was training literally three times a day and just ridiculous training volume. This is a very high level cyclist. Uh, you know, a lot of this, while we could, sh the, the, a sleep low approach on very rare occasion, we tried it and some of the definitely a little bit of the low carb fueling at times, but when someone has that high of a volume, you just need you know, they, they have to be fueled. So that is, is a, a you know, not such a, a uh, that's not, that just wouldn't work so well there. Now, someone else 
where uh, I'm thinking of a triathlete who was training twice a day, and he was doing um, a fasted interval session in the morning, for early in the morning, and then doing like his endurance miles kind of like midday or late morning. And, you know, when, when we think about, think about all the things we've just talked about, you know, it made a lot of sense for him to switch that. So he could do, wake up and do, so he's already fasted. He could do his endurance miles fasted in the morning, get some fuel in, and then be a little bit more fueled for the, for the interval sessions. So simply just getting him to swap those two workouts based on, you know, uh, mechanistic, all the stuff we've talked about is then that, you know, that's, that's my approach there. In another case, um, you know, uh, someone who's a lot of, so, so triathletes often t- train twice a day, but cyclists often are training once a day. Um, you know, I'll think I'll, I'll take someone's week. So I, I have like a, a template for a calendar. So I, you know, we have each day and then we have which work when their work is, uh, when their workouts are and what intensity they are and how long. So then I kind of know what they need to be fueled with. Then I will literally color code each meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, or pre-ride a pre-workout would be moderate carb or high carb. And then we kind of plot their, their week out so they can just kind of follow along, kind of paint by numbers. Should I have a lot of carbs at this meal or should I have very little carbs at this meal? You know, that that's actually, I guess that's not asking or answering your question directly. That's kind of how I implement it. So to get back to how do I decide what to do with someone, it's again, it's so it's figuring out the goal. If, if they're, you know, if someone just wants to get better and they're, they're pretty good already, uh, and they don't have any glaring issues like I want to only work on my base right now or something, you know, then it's, it's kind of maximizing the training sessions that their coach has planned or they have planned. So again, using the food to support that. Yeah. Oftentimes it's, you know, someone's got a, a training plan from their coach so I can go into their training peaks or we can look together and say, this is going to be a hard workout or here's four or five days hard in a row. So you better, you know, keep the carbs up or, um, you know, here we have, some low intensity stuff. So you can go out with an empty gas tank or, or something like that. So it's really taking these tools and figuring out, you know, how to, where to plug them in, where to plug them in best on a literally a meal by meal or week by week basis. I know in the past, I, uh, with particularly some of the pro riders that I've worked with, I, I have done some of that and especially the color coding, I think is very helpful. Um, but I know that that, that is a, a lot of work to try to get that, uh, you know, you know, piece together for somebody who is, uh, you know, maybe an age grouper, uh, do you feel it's beneficial to, to, to maybe not be so in depth, but really try to try to implement this, uh, on a smaller scale? Yeah. For, for someone like that, who's, who, you know, just doing it, trying to figure out on their own, I would say, think about the workout you just had and the workout you have coming up. Right. And so, and then with that in mind, we know that high intensity workouts require carbs and low intensity workouts don't require a whole lot of carbs. I mean, we're, we're going to generalize, but if, if someone wants just some simple rules of thumb to try to like steer their training better. So we've got, you know, if you've just had a hard workout, you need more carbs to recover. If you just had a recovery ride or something, you don't need a whole lot of, you know, it's not a big deal to recover. So we've got the previous workout and then you look forward to your next workout, whether it's that same day or if it's in two days or one day later. Do you want a high, a full gas tank going into that workout or do you want a low to moderate gas tank going into that workout? If the answer is full, then of course, have more carbs in the meal or meals leading into that workout. And if the answer is you want a low or moderate gas tank, then you know tailor back your carbs. I don't even think you need to count them, but everyone kind of knows what 
a mega carb meal looks like, you know, a plate of pasta or a plate of rice or whatever. Moderate carb, I kind of consider like, you know, like a cup or it, it depends, of course, on the person and their size, but a, a low carb meal might still be like one piece of bread equivalent or, and then a no carb meal would really be just like, you know, chicken and veggies or, or protein shake or something. So thinking about your previous meal and your, or sorry, your previous workout and your next workout, just kind of being sensible, knowing that carbs basically fill up your gas tank and, you know, protein and fat and veggies don't really fill up your gas tank and, and kind of making sensible decisions based on that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'll add one other um, point there is, is one of the pieces of advice that I've always, uh, you know, you know, provided is, is to say, look at, you know, what are you, what are you trying to get out of your workout? And this, and this goes, yeah. uh, you know, beyond nutrition too, but it's like, what, what are you trying to get out of that workout? That workout should have a purpose. And if the, the maximum output is really what you're trying to get out of it, you're, you're trying to get the most quality out of that workout, then you need to think about how you're going to go into that session to get the most quality. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like, yep. well, you know, you're doing a race. So, uh, do you show up to the race underfueled, um, right. yeah. and on four hours of sleep? Well, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. That's it. Yeah. That, that's a, I should have included that too. Yeah. Cause I, I also often say, you know, the, the, the proper fueling for performance is often different than the proper fueling for adaptation. And that goes back to what we started this conversation talking about. So like you said, if you want to get out quality performance, you're going to fuel with carbs. And if you want adaptation, so even if it is a high intensity workout, but it, like a high intensity interval workout, but it's short, maybe you can do that fasted. Your performance won't be as good, but you will get very likely more out of that session. So you're exactly right. What, what do you, so you're considering, yeah, what the workout you have coming up and is it more about the adaptation or is it more about performance and hitting those numbers? Right. And, and, and to add, add one more layer to that, uh, you know, I think the timing of the year, you know, matters, um, you know, certainly the off season is a great time to, to work out the kinks in the nutrition program, um, and to work out, uh, how you're going to react to this type of, 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 uh, you know, nutrition plan or periodization. Um, but from, from a grand scheme, uh, you know, the winter time is also a stressful time. It's usually, you know, less hours of train, colder, darker, you, you know, you name it. Uh, it's usually not a great time to try to do all of the kind of the marginal gain nutritional stuff. I, uh, you know, so for me, I know, especially with the holidays, it gets very stressful. I don't, I don't really think a lot about, uh, you know, what I'm eating other than the fact that I want to make sure that I'm eating enough. And then later in the season, uh, you know, particularly in the springtime, and, and I, it, it, this gets back to that most recent study, uh, I think it's, it's really beneficial to, to, to look at how you can implement it um, right before a race. And now that we're seeing that, hey, three weeks out yeah. from a race can, can, can have an impact on your performance – uh, you, you know, and by impact, it's greater than a placebo. You know, I think yeah. it's somewhere in that three to five percent range, which is which is pretty damn good for just uh, you know kind of manipulating your diet a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's great, great advice. So, yeah, uh, you know, along the lines of of just planning, uh, you know, your your nutrition. One of the the most recent articles you've written. 
uh, talks about that that nutri uh, the nutrition plan for the next race. Um, and this is one thing that I, I've 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 touched on in the past, and I know with clients that I've worked with, this is something that that I really harp on because again, just like the 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 low carb high fat person who's going to eat all the carbs on race day, people show up to to races and they they, they never they it's like they <laughs> never think about the nutrition plan. It's yeah. just so. I don't know. Something will happen. I, I hear they got goo out on the course. I hear they got Gatorade out there. So that should be good enough. It's like, <laughs> how many months have you been training? You know, yeah, so, seriously. So what goes into, uh, you know, from your perspective, what goes into that, that, that nutrition plan, planning it out, uh, you know, preparing for that race? Yeah, good question. And, and, and um, so basically, I, I wrote just for people that haven't seen it, an article, there's, there's, there's not a ton of studies, but there are a handful that have compared, you know, often people say, Oh, I'm just eat when I'm hungry and, and drink when I'm thirsty, which seems sensible. But again, when we look at research that compares people that do that with matched groups that are given a, a real scientific plan, meaning a set a certain amount of carbohydrate per hour, certain amount of glucose, fructose, sodium, etc. The people with the plan almost invariably do better. Okay, so what I do, it, it kind of depends if it's a cyclist, if it's like a road racer or a crit racer. Um, I'm gonna I, there's kind of a sweet spot, and, and and with shorter races, there's a pretty wide sweet spot, I think. But there's kind of a sweet spot of carbohydrate intake uh, per hour that seems to be you know give give you the best performance without causing GI distress. So what I'll do is usually start by asking someone. You know, if you have this three-hour road race or four-hour road race, what, you know, what would you take in? And they'll usually say, you know, the sports drinks and, and the gels or whatever. Then I'll kind of see where that adds up to uh, on a per-hour basis. And if they're within, you know, a pretty good range, then I'll, I'll often leave it or maybe say, oh, maybe we can just bump that up a little bit. Um, and just, and, and if they're way out of the range, which often happens, whether they're very below or very above. Um, we, we figure out how to make an appropriate adjustment to get them at this kind of 40 to 60 grams of carbs per hour, uh, for, for a three to four hour, well, two to four hour race, maybe a little bit higher, but again, it depends on the person with triathlon, especially, you know, when we get into 70.3 or the or full Ironman distance, these are races, you know, that can be eight to 12 or in, in, in some of the more recreational athletes, even 14, 15 hours. In that case, you know this this approach of eating and drinking just when I when you feel like it, um, I just you know it's just not a good idea on on for several reasons. I mean, you're asking you're trying to fuel naturally while doing something that is pretty darn unnatural. So what I do, and and then also you're trying even if you, someone has a, a good intention of saying, okay, I need X number of calories per hour. There's no way you can keep doing that math in your head mile after mile and hour after hour. You're just gonna you know you're, you're gonna go crazy. So. I create, you know, again, I'll start with what people would typically do. I usually say, okay, if you have, you have this Ironman tomorrow and if we hadn't met, what would you just, what would you do on your own? So they'll say, oh, okay, I'll have this sports drink and I figure out how many scoops and well, how many gels, bars, whatever they're going to do. And we'll see, okay, what are they, what are they actually taking in per hour based on an estimated time? Again, often it's usually way below the sweet spot for long, long distance triathlon intake. So then I will figure out, okay, I'll, I'll have a goal of calories, of, of fluid, of carbohydrate, total carbohydrate, glucose, fructose, sodium. So all these, these 
these factors that we want to be, you know, I, I have a goal in mind of what would be 100% ideal intake. And then I'll build, based on the foods and drinks and, and so on that they like, I'll build this plan to say, okay, this is how much we need on the bike leg. This is how much we need at transition. This is what we need at, at, at on the run. Uh, and, and I want it to add up to a certain amount, again, based on their goals, their time, and the, their body, all, all these things. I'll then give them literally a piece of paper they can tape on their bike tube that lists like mile by mile or every five miles, you know, okay, mile 25, you're going to take a gel, mile 30, you're going to do this, mile 35, and so on. And then I'll even break it down to, okay, at T2, here's all the things you need to have lined up at your special needs bag. One, you have to have this. Here's what you have on the bike, all these things. So I really want to take the guesswork out of someone so you can actually enjoy the race. Um, so again, I'm basically having this starting from a place of a goal for each of these nutrients and then products that they have used or like or would consider. And then we build the plan spaced out accordingly so that the gut can process this in a smooth, steady fashion to give for people that aren't aware. You, you basically need taxi cabs. If you consume carbohydrate, it needs like a taxi cab to get from the, from your, from your intestine into your muscle or into your bloodstream, I should say. Uh, so if you take, you know, like if you drink a, a whole bottle of gel in, you know, at once, you're going to have some serious GI distress and there's going to be like a major backup in the queue waiting for the cabs. So you want to time this so it's it's a nice steady line at, at you know of people waiting for cabs and there's not too big of a backup. Uh, so that's yeah that's that's generally how I approach things like that. And then the nice thing again, just using thinking of Ironman training as an example, is people's plans really build over you know several weeks and months. Uh, so five weeks out, they might have a 100 mile bike and a 15 mile run or something like that. Whatever the plan, you know, however the plan builds. So you can literally build their race plan through their training season and they can kind of get used to the the amount of stuff they should be taking in and build that as they go uh, and, and as the bricks get longer and longer. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I like that because I've um I've actually taken that approach with with my own training and and ju- just being yeah you know being in the field that I'm in and 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 kind of really getting into the science more so now than before I I do that 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 same thing where it's you know breaking down what i need uh you know especially for 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 extera uh you know you've got to think about uh when you're going to be able to feed um yeah. it's not as straightforward uh, a lot of guys don't use camelbacks i don't i don't really understand why um cuz i've had some some pretty stupid crashes on the mountain bike because i'm trying to drink out of a water bottle mm. um and and i always noticed and and i i've never really talked with the pros but i don't understand the whole fueling process for pro xterra racers because at, looking at their bike i'm pretty sure they're underfueled <laughs> i mean i i don't know maybe they're doing something else but they 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 seem to have uh not enough fuel not enough um you know fluid and i'm not a big big proponent of of drinking tons and tons of fluid but they just seem like they're a little bit under prepared and it, it would be nice to to kind of know what they're doing but i know for me it's it's really trying to hit that sweet spot again uh, I I know that the research, uh, you, you know, some some of the research out there is is saying, oh, you know, you can go super super high carb. Um, I found that around that that you know that seventy gram mark is uh, is doable for me. Um, but certainly, you're right. You know, you know, there are a lot of people not even hitting that that forty to sixty 
gram mark, yeah. which is is kind of mind boggling because it's it's not not that difficult to to do, but you've got to practice it and you've got to practice yeah. the feeding. And if you're somebody who's not accustomed to this, again, the piece of paper is good um, to have. You know, doing it on the bricks. It, you, you know, really just try trying to dial in that practice run. I I tell my classes story, and I forget how this comes up, but I I remember being on spring break one year, and I I went down with 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 a guy who should not who who should have not gone on spring break with me because <laughs> I was going there to train, um but uh but 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 we were out on a training ride and and he said oh man when are we stopping for lunch I said we're not stopping for lunch <laughs> we're training man and um he uh I I I guess he had had stopped to pull something out of his pocket and uh and, and I, I didn't know it. And it was like like thirty miles down the road. I'm talking <laughs> to him, and I look back, and he's gone. Um, and it turns out that that you know he's like, oh, I couldn't I couldn't get the food out of my pocket. I needed to stop, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm like, well, what happens in a race? He's like, well, he, you know, this isn't a race. I said, well, it's as good as a race. You got to practice all this stuff. And so it, it it really gets back to that point that you know it's not just about putting the miles in, putting. Um, you know, time in the pool. It's it's really about the big picture. And 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 for Ironman, uh, that's a lot of training time. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of commitment. And it is amazing how many athletes just leave the nutrition to to luck, chance. I you know yeah. whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, and and you know another maybe just uh, uh, sidebar from that, that we should probably address. Cause I'm sure people think about it is drinking your calories versus eating your calories. And I'm not sure kind of your thoughts on this, but I'll just share. Some people are very adamant that you should not drink your calories and drink your fluid and eat your calories. And some people, some companies often say you should drink all of your, all of your calories. And you know, I, I think you should not drink all your calories for the one very simple and obvious reason. You're, depending on the, the weather conditions, the heat, you know, a hot day versus a cold day, your fluid needs might be twice as great, right? But your calorie needs are based on, you know, your, your much, uh, are much more stable from through the conditions. I know the conditions can change it, but you know, if it's 75 degrees versus 50 degrees, you're going to be, your calorie needs are your optimal fueling of carbohydrates. So I, I, I'm usually with you around 70 grams an hour is kind of my sweet spot. Um, I was thinking before when I said 40 to 60, that's kind of a, a low end estimate, but yeah, so 70, you know, but you might drink twice as much on a hot day, right? So if you're drinking all your calories, I mean, that's that's affecting your, your you know, your. It, it's so obvious as I'm saying it that, that I, people just don't get it that, you know, you can have days where you just don't know what the weather's going to be like at the race. And if all of your calories are coming from your fluid, you're going to either have way too much fluid in you or way too little, or again, you're just kind of hoping for the right weather to match up with the right amount of fluid to drink. Yeah, I I would totally agree, and and this has come up. Um, I I remember a couple of years ago I had Dr. Lim on, and um, you know a lot of the 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 scratch labs mentality is is about uh you, you know avoiding drinking all your calories. Yeah, uh, I know some 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 people still say, you know, okay, drink all your calories, but but uh, I I think in in my view, and I agree with Lim on this, is that um if you are having GI distress problems and you are drinking all your calories that needs to be what you look at first yeah. and I worked with a triathlete a few years ago that um that's the that's the first thing I asked him because he he's like you know I 
I trained well and, and everything was going well, but I, the cramps and the GI mm-hmm. distress were so bad on the run, it, it really cost me a lot. And, and, I, and I said, how are you taking in your calories? And he said, I take in all fluid. And I said, well, we need mm-hmm. to change that. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and so, I mean, that is, um, I, I, I think if you look at the gut and you look at how the gut is, is designed, uh, some people can handle that amount of fluid and that amount of, of, of concentration of carbohydrate. Um, I, I find that I drink all my calories if the race is about two hours or less. Yeah. Longer than that. Um, I mean, first and foremost, I get hungry. Okay, and I don't like feeling hungry. It doesn't matter how many calories I got in me. Hmm. Um, I don't like feeling hungry, but my GI distress goes up, uh, or, or the chances of it go up dramatically when I start hitting two and a half hours, three hours for you know for some of the exterior events, and, and when I was racing my bike. Before we knew all this, uh, you know, again, I tried to drink all my calories a lot of times because. Some you know, sometimes in the pro races, it's <laughs> yeah. it's really hard. It's a, it's just really hard to get food out, and um and and what I found is that the GI distress was was worse the longer you went, which makes sense. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, I definitely agree, and that and that's something that 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 people want to really consider because I think they the they're willing to sacrifice performance, um, for for a simplification of nutrition. Yeah. No, that's that's exactly right. So, so uh, you know, we talked about a lot of different aspects of, of trying to, 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 to maximize performance in the dial and the training plan. Uh, you know, in your experience, um, what would have really been kind of the, the, you know, the top issues that people come to you with? You, you know, what's like maybe the top one or two requests or, or, or problem that people have when they come to you? Uh, if we're talking endurance athletes, yeah, yeah, I think people kind of don't know what they're doing, and and I don't mean that in a bad way. They they come because they don't know what you know. I don't know if I'm doing this right. I don't know how much I should be eating, how much I should be taking on the bike. Like I don't know how I should feel. It's kind of like they just want guidance, and even maybe sometimes they've been kind of doing it by feel properly. They just don't have a clear direction. Even some very very good athletes just ne- maybe have a high VO two max and never had to really think about this stuff. And so that's kind of the, the biggest thing is like, I don't know how I should be eating on long rides versus short rides or, you know, do I need carbs, especially because, and we've, we've hit on a lot of these topics in this discussion, but people have heard low carb and high carb, right? And so people are confused that don't understand. And again, if this is not what you do for a living, I wouldn't expect you to understand that the, the adaptation, that, that, for example, carbs act as both a fuel and as signaling, you know, meaning when there's low carb availability, that signals your, your uh, gene expression differently, right? So why would anyone know that who wasn't, you know, doing this? And so, again, hearing these kind of tidbits and not knowing how to, uh, you know, get to the root of it or how it applies to them. So I think it's kind of like almost translator and guide of, of things they've yeah, I would say like guide and translator and, and, and not un, so, so they give them a real clear sense of how they should be fueling. And that's what I try to really educate the people. And so when I talk about those like weekly, uh, the daily periodization, I don't just give that someone a plan. I'll say I'll explain what we're doing and why. And so they kind of have a sense of how they can shape their their their, you know, their fueling and both on the bike and off the bike and, and, and so on. Um, yeah. 
So one of the changes that I've done to my sports nutrition course over really just last year um, is I broke it up into a lot of smaller topics because there are a lot of dietary kind of special needs out there that go beyond just the normal, you know, the vegetarian diet, the vegan, you know, you know we always hear about that. Um, but there are, are, are uh, you know, sports or, or, um, or, or, or people that have very specific needs. The one that comes to mind for me is Ramadan and fasting mm. and, and that impact on performance. Um, what in your experience has been kind of the, 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 uh, you know, kind of the major or maybe couple major problems that you see people coming in that have adopted maybe a lifestyle or a diet that, that is underperforming for them? Um, I mean, being in Los Angeles, I see a, a, a lot of vegans and there's actually some very high performing. Some of my best clients as far as like their skill level at endurance sports are vegans. And so, which, you know, I guess it depends on how you feel about being a vegan, but it's, it's, you know, you have to work very hard in my opinion to make a vegan diet fully balanced and nutritious and, and health promoting, you know, and I understand there's plenty of reasons someone could be a vegan, but you can't just be a vegan and get all of your nutrients from food, you know? so, so, um, that's, that's kind of, you know, um, I guess I'm, I'm trying hard to sound politically correct, but you know, you can absolutely be a good athlete on a vegan diet. I, I truly believe that I might've had my doubts several years ago, but I've worked with a number of people that are absolutely flying and feeling great and healthy on a vegan diet. So, but again, it does take some real dedicated supplementation. Um, and, and, you know, just, you know, it just takes more special attention. So that that's kind of the biggest, I would say, special needs diet group that I, I come across. Yeah. Hey, have you ever come across the uh, uh, the fruititarian? <laughs> not not in not not a, as a client. No. I I uh, I that was one of the things that came up last year. Uh, a student had presented that in class. Um, as, as one of their fad diets, but, uh, but yeah, I, I agree. The, the vegan diet is definitely the hardest and, and I, um, I've, I've gotten myself into trouble. I'm, I'm, I'm not as politically correct. Um, only because I, I do, I do very much respect people who, who choose a vegan diet from, from, from a moral standpoint. And I, 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 I could totally um, you know, I totally get that. Like with every other diet, a lot of times what, what I'll, I'll, I'll hear from somebody is like, oh, well, this is healthier. And it's like, well, yeah. if you look at the research, um, it's, it's probably just as healthy. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so there's not real, a, a real advantage. Um, you know, maybe for certain parts of the population it might be, but, but I, I, I think that the, the, you, you know, human physiology is very adaptable, but I know a couple of years ago I got, I got myself into trouble on the podcast cause I had gotten a, a letter from somebody or I say an email, not, not a letter. And he had a question about his vegetarian diet and how he was deficient in B12 and deficient in this. And, and I, I, you know, I jokingly said, you know, maybe you need a new diet. Um, and that, that didn't go over. Well. I still, that still pops up in my reviews as, as a very negative review. But, but the point I was trying to make is that, um, if somebody comes to you and they say, Hey, uh, I don't perform well. I don't understand. Um, you know, I eat 15 Hershey bars a day uh, and I don't really eat anything else. What can you do for me? Well, you're going <laughs> to say, well, 
have you considered it's the Hershey bars? <laughs> yeah. Um, and and so when you run into to, to individuals that have deficiencies, it's kind of like, well, you know, if you're really struggling with the diet, you know, it might be time to consider a different diet. And, and so that, that it, it, it is very difficult. And again, I, I think that if it's, if it's, you know, a moral choice or a religious choice or, or, or whatever, that's different. But I think if you have an athlete who's, ah, you know, I, I need to be vegan because I heard it's better. It'd be like, well, <laughs> you maybe try something easier because being a vegan is very difficult. Um, yeah. It's, it, you know, though, I, I, there's, there's a part of me that enjoys that because, you know, I, a, a win for me is when someone I'm working with feels better or performs better or, or, or whatever it is. And oftentimes there's, you know, most vegans are hip to B12 supplementation, but, you know, finding, I was able to, to spot an iron deficiency that the woman's primary care doctor just either she didn't get to it yet or she didn't see it. And so you get someone on iron and they, they felt so much better or, you know, oftentimes creatine or beta alanine or carnitine, all these things can help vegans because they're just deficient, you know, so even normal and small levels or small intakes, I should say from supplements can be really helpful. So there's kind of a lot of avenues beyond just B12 and, and even beyond iron that you can really help someone feel better. So there's kind of, you know, there, there's part of that, that that's, um, it's almost easier to make someone feel better though. Of course, it's not always easy. Um, you know, it's not always so obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting that you had mentioned creatine because that kind of gets us on, on another topic that, that, that I'm curious on, um, from a supplementation standpoint, what, uh, you know, for you and endurance, um, sports, what, what are kind of your, maybe, maybe your top three supplements? Yeah. For, well, for if we exclude, kind of, you know, carbohydrates or you know, caf yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 caffeine too, I think is yeah. is 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 one of those no brainers. Um, but yeah. but other supplements, what are? Well, you know, I I look at it. I kind of will separate. Well, you can separate track cyclists and try and and then like Ironman distance and and road riders, road racers. Um, and even even though I I kind of really look to almost to the race like. I mean, track tracks guys are thought of as sprinters, but you can have like an omnium and you can have some endurance events on the track. So, um, it's, uh, there's not an easy way to, to kind of differentiate, but I definitely think of, uh, beet elites or, you know, beet, beet powder supplements as being pretty helpful for a lot of people. So s sometimes creatine. So that's kind of a, a maybe depending on the person, but more likely the beet, beet powder, the beta alanine, baking soda, and sometimes sodium phosphate. It kind of depends on the race. So if someone's doing a time trial or a, you know, a triathlon, baking soda or, or beta alanine, probably not so helpful. But if, it's, if we're talking about a road race or a crit, then I think those are extremely helpful. Beta, baking soda works acutely, meaning you know, the person can just do it that day or, the, or a day or two before. Whereas beta alanine, you have to stay on longer to see an effect. So that one, you might kind of depends on what type of racing the person is doing. Uh, if it's for a triathlete who's having these, uh, especially a non-ITU triathlete, these long efforts are, are, you know, I don't think they'll get much out of the beta alanine or baking soda other than for training. So I guess let's say we're talking about road cyclists. I would say baking soda, beta alanine, and, and beat elite uh, or again, or sodium phosphate. So there's four for a tri for a, for like an Ironman, probably just the beat elite, um, maybe the sodium phosphate 
and for a track cyclist, probably the creatine, beta alanine, and baking soda, and betalite. Yeah, I've I've um I I mean I've for years I've been 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 very pro creatine, um probably going back man ten years now um and in and I I would definitely agree the the uh you know the feeling of bloating a lot of times I find that athletes feel that way if they do loading so so if they mm, yeah if if they do the loading. Uh, you, you know, 20 grams a day. Um, I know that when I first tried it, that's, that's one of the common complaints that I had, yeah, um, me too. but you don't need to load, you know, especially Correct. if you're not, yeah. you, you know, you're not trying to like load, lo- uh, to load up for a race that's, you know, five days away or something. Yeah. Um, but, but, but I, I just had, a uh, a, a friend, in town, contact me about uh, about creatine. He, he wanted to know about dosing and, and about body weight gain. And I and I told him, I said, I'll be honest with you, I've gone off creatine. I've been on creatine. I don't see any discernible changes in body weight. Yeah. I think that there are some, uh, you, particularly some cyclists that might see a, a, a gain in weight. Um, but again, I think it, it it goes back to a lot like resistance training. We know enough about resistance training now that we know that uh, concurrent resistance training with endurance training, um, the resistance training helps endurance performance, but you don't see mass gains. Now that doesn't right. that they, that doesn't go across the board for every athlete. Again, if you're somebody has a high percentage of type two muscle fibers, those fast switch fibers, those tend to grow a lot faster. But again, I just haven't seen the body weight gain. Uh, with creatine, but the performance aspect is huge. And I've coached, uh, you know, riders that are criterion riders primarily with the, you know, the dreams of grandeur about being some kind of a stage racer. And I'm like, just, just, <laughs> just stick with the criteriums, take the damn creatine. It, 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 it works, you know, I mean, yeah. um, and it's cheap, you know, but, but, but by the same token, I mean, I'm at a, a, a small college. We, we've got a lot of football players, a lot of, ba- uh, a lot of, of uh, 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 baseball and basketball players. And I'm astounded by the, you know, the reluctance to take creatine. And again, that stigma is there. Um, the media doesn't help uh, much, yeah. but, but it's like trying to, to, to find those supplements that actually have the research behind it versus – uh, you know, what, whatever else, I mean, we could go on and on about the, all of the, the, the ones out there that are bad, that don't work. Um, it's very interesting to see the mentality of what people will gravitate towards and not for something. Yeah. There has been a lot of new research out on protein, um, an increase in protein. I know particularly for, um, you know, for, for, for endurance sports, particularly if you're going to do maybe that low fueling, uh, at adding in additional protein um, is, is 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 certainly seen as possibly beneficial. Uh, you know, what are your kind of uh, you know views on protein and 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 how do you handle that topic? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not you know so extreme on any end. I think most people, may, or I should say, many endurance athletes that I see don't eat enough protein and. I'm when it, when of course we should probably define it. So we usually talk about it in terms of kil, uh, grams per kilogram of body weight. The RDA is 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. Most people kind of would agree that that's quite low. 
uh, you'll get a lot of like football player bodybuilder types going for about 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. That's on the high end, but by no means dangerous in a healthy person. But 1.6 grams per kilogram is usually a pretty good, uh, that, that's kind of where I aim for. It's, it's a little bit higher than most people get, but by no means high. And that's, you know, I, I find that that it certainly helps with satiety. It helps with muscle repair. It helps, you know, it helps a lot of things. And often people want to, well, again, if we're, if we're sticking with athletes or even, let's say, recreational athletes wanting to lo- improve their body composition usually helps. I mean, it sounds kind of like it's so general and vague, but it usually helps increasing protein. Uh, they'll be fuller. They'll eat less kind of junk food or if people have a tendency to snack oftentimes cyclists are always hungry because they're constantly restricting and when you get them eating protein in the morning uh it really has a a a good effect on satiety later in the day even so uh you know oftentimes cyclists might have a banana and toast or something before a workout go out and ride have their sports drinks to come home and maybe have a recovery drink or maybe have oatmeal or something and then maybe it's like uh well a salad with chicken or something for lunch and and then maybe you know a mixed dinner who knows but they're not getting protein in the early part of the day so i usually explain to people here's a rough daily goal for what you should be taking in so let's say it's 120 grams for kind of a medium-sized person uh then we want to we want to spread that relatively evenly so if you're eating four times you know four four meals of 30 grams is definitely better than like zero a, a meal of no protein another meal of no protein and then spreading that all at the end of the day right so we want it relatively evenly dispersed and i don't you know try to get too hung up on it other than giving people uh you know an idea of how to get protein in the morning that's that's kind of the challenge people just don't know how to get protein in the morning they'll say eggs and then when you tell them an egg only has six or seven grams of protein that really you know kind of surprises most people when i say i want you to have 30 grams of protein but often greek yogurt can work well or a protein shake, or a couple eggs with some Greek yogurt, and and so that's um, you know it's 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 most people eat enough at dinner, usually eat enough at lunch, but it's it's getting that front part of the day that I think requires the most effort. Yeah, I I love eggs, and um, and definitely that that it's 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 funny you mentioned that six grams because. Every time I make myself eggs in the morning, that is the first thing that pops in my head. It's only got six grams. So I've got to, you know, I always kind of couch it with, you know, something else. And I I usually go with an egg sandwich. But but one of the things that I I like to do, um, you know, know, I've been a big fan of the Feed Zone cookbook. Mm. um, And... Uh, I got a couple ideas from that, but but I take my oatmeal and I actually put two eggs in the oatmeal, on top of the milk, and 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 so nice. I can get a a more complete breakfast. And I'm I'm going out in the morning, particularly for a you know you know a hard workout. Um, that is that that is definitely a great breakfast. It digests very rapidly, very easily. Um, so there, there, there are a lot of ways to, to, you know, to get it. And, and sometimes if I want a really big breakfast, I'll put the eggs in the oatmeal and then I'll make two more eggs. I I put them on top. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's really about just being a little bit more creative. I think, uh, uh, for me being again, in a small college setting, uh, you, you know, coming from an endurance sport side of things, uh, I do see a lot of the same issues that 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 you see, and, and and certainly, as educated as a population as they are about training, 
uh, they fall short on nutrition, but at the college level, the, 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 the nutrition is woeful. I mean, really, sure. we've got football players that are trying to gain mass that are barely getting one gram of protein wow. per, you know, per kilo. We've got wrestlers, um, you know, in season eating three or four hundred calories a day. Um, <laughs> and these are all topics that I don't I don't sugarcoat in, you know, in classes like, look at this diet, you know, what do you guys think about this diet? And they're just, you know, they're kind of like, not sure what to say. And I said, this diet sucks. Okay. <laughs> this, this is terrible. Or, you know, I had, um, I had two, two football players that were friends and one took a protein supplement and the other one did. And I said, you need to take his protein supplement because <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. they were falling short. I'm like, hi, how, how much do you eat in the dining hall? Well, you know, they weren't eating enough. So, so it's, it's, it's definitely there. And the protein thing I think has just gotten, um, I, the research has gotten really good, but I we we still have that hurdle, that hurdle of you know protein's dangerous. Protein, um, you know, protein will make you fat. I still hear that one. Mm. Um, you know, certainly if you overeat anything uh, to an extreme, you 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 could get fat. But I I I, I generally find with myself if I'm cutting calories, particularly if I'm on that that low carb, you, you know, sleep low. Um, I definitely feel more satiated. Oh, yeah. higher protein um but but also uh you know that the 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 protein intake in and of itself seems to um you know certainly help my recovery yeah definitely well cool jeff i appreciate you taking the time um are, are there any other uh you know tips or anything that 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 you can provide people um to kind of to you know maybe set somebody it's a new year new year's resolutions out there uh you know what would you say to some somebody who's like you know what i gotta man i gotta get this nutrition dialed in yeah well first of all thank you for having me you know it's it's we've we've uh been in, we've connected for a while and it's nice to finally have this chat uh on here um i would say you know on one hand if it's if it's let's say the if we're gonna just pick the the you know a person uh, if, if it's an age group or triathlete, let's say, I mean, race entries are, can be so expensive, especially at Ironman and people spend thousands of dollars on bike wheels and helmets, aero helmets, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you know, spending a hundred or a couple hundred bucks with someone who, you know, does this, not, not, not obviously I'm biased when I say this, but I mean, we can have as, as, on the nutrition side, have a huge impact on, on people. You know, I have, uh, a guy that I work with, he just finished his second Ironman and, and, you know, he said, I have no doubt that nutrition helped him take almost an hour off his time. You know, it's like, these are huge impacts. Of course, uh, of course at the elite level, you're not going to shave an hour off someone's time with nutrition, but you know, it, this, this is made, I, I think it's money well spent to, con, uh, to get in touch with someone who can really help guide you if you feel like you need some guidance. Um, beyond that, if, if you feel like, okay, if you're into this and, and you want to do it on your own, I think listening, probably re-listening to this interview and, and you know, putting some of the stuff into, into practice. So such as what are you trying to get out of this workout? So I guess to kind of boil it down to the few big questions through the course of your training, training season is what was my last workout and what is my next workout? And what am I trying to get out of my next workout with keeping in mind that generally carbs are going to improve performance but less carbs will improve adaptation. So with all that, that in mind, you can make some hopefully smarter decisions um, and use some discretion on, should I 
binge on, you know, pizza or a giant plate of rice, or should I try to have a low carb meal or should I go out with water in my bottles? Uh, or should I put sports drink and have full gel set up because I'm doing a, a, a four hour brick or something like that, you know, so, you, so making, using some discretion and making some better choices about how you fuel relative to your training, I think can go a long way. Yeah, those are great, uh, you know, great starter tips. I, I, I like that. I like the idea of, of really getting people, um, you know, just to, to, to take those initial steps, because again, I think they do put in a lot of time and money. Um, and then that nutrition, you know, it's just, well, you know, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I often give out a lot of tips. So especially when I go to race, if I do a clinic, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have any secrets. Um, at least that I, you know, that I know of, um, <laughs> I don't have any like secret nutrition stuff. I tell everybody everything because I know 90% of the people, they won't actually do <laughs> it. <laughs> um, so, so it's a, it's always good to, uh, you know, you, you know, to, to hear kind of the, uh, a slightly different perspective, but I think that one of the reasons that, that, that we connected well is, is that there, there is a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a similar philosophy, which, you know, you know, I like, but I also like to hear kind of the nuances and, 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 and really the approach, you know, the mm -hmm. different approaches is really, really helpful. Yeah. You know, as a professional, I, uh, where can people find more information about you? Uh, yeah, I think the best place would be my website, which is eatsleep.fit. So www.eatsleep.fit. And I'll post blogs, not super often, but every once in a while on these kind of relevant topics. Um, you can also get in touch with me if you wanted to reach out. You can contact me through that. And uh, I, I'm pretty good about getting back to people. Well, great. Uh, again, I appreciate you coming on. Um, and uh, if in the future, uh, you, you know, you have a topic or, or, you know, you have any ideas, feel free to, you know, drop us a line and I'd be happy to have you back on. Awesome. I would love that. Great. All right. Thanks, Chris. Hey, folks. That was our interview with Jeff Rothschild. However, after recording the show, a few new questions and developments came my way. Uh, and in light of our discussion, I wanted to clarify a few points brought up in the podcast. First, it's still unclear whether low fueling is truly fasted or at least uh, no carbs or if it's restricted carbs. I think it's safe to say that carb intake should be probably under 100 kcals, which is about 25 grams, and probably spread out. Now, that's an educated guess of mine in part, but in general, we're probably trying to avoid the signaling to the body, brain, cells, whatever it is, that carbs are on the way. This is very similar to the research on mouth rinsing with carbs. The body will often alter its regulation if it thinks it's going to get carbs. So low fueling, like sleeping low, is probably going to send a message like, hey, don't expect carbs, so you should probably adapt accordingly. Now, that being said, Jeff and I discussed sleeping low uh, and why it's really important that you carefully plan your training. You should expect to sleep terrible and feel generally bad the next day. Uh, at least that's been my experience. It's also important to avoid uh, sleeping or training low all the time. Just like training, how you 
fuel should really fit your specific objectives, not just be done all the time. Daily fasted training could have long-term health problems, uh, but really, I think it comes down to it's going to affect your training quality. If your objective is a great training session, you got to fuel accordingly. And without doubt, be sure to truly refuel after the low session. I meet a lot of athletes who cut themselves short on refueling for fear of weight gain or something else. You got to remember, you want to train and diet hard, but you also want to recover and fuel just as hard. Finally, as Jeff indicated, protein at every meal will improve your overall adaptive process. Now, a few papers have shown that athletes who load most of their protein at one meal or maybe two tend to show a lower uh, 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 training response or training adaptation than others. Moreover, many athletes shirk on the protein at dinner time. A typical 70 kilogram cyclist should aim for about 110 grams spread out throughout the day. And what we definitely find is that that late night protein load right before you go to bed has been shown to be very beneficial. All right, folks, that is it for podcast 46. If you'd like to learn more about the ESP podcast or about all of the information presented on the show, head on over to www.espanswers.com. While you're there, please consider supporting the podcast by clicking the donate button. You can also support us by writing us a review on iTunes. As the year progresses, be on the lookout for more new features and, of course, new full-length podcast shows. Until then, remember, if you're not thinking ahead, you're falling behind. Later. Still out there, shining the same.